HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Welcome to Magnifico Radio, the weekly podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and if you're listening live on the Heritage Radio Network, that means it's Monday and it's one o'clock here in Brooklyn. Welcome. Each week, I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders in sustainability to discuss their paths and motivation. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifico.com, and my book, also called Magnifico, Your Head-to-Toe Guide to Ethical Fashion and Non-Toxic Beauty. Today's guest is Professor Rebecca Earley, whose LinkedIn profile lists her as an academic design researcher, circular economy, culture expert, curator, educator, consultant, but also missing as designer and artist. Rebecca Earley is a professor of sustainable fashion textile design and the director of Textile Futures Research Center, the TFRC, at Chelsea College of Art at the University of Arts London, UAL, and the co-instigator of Mr. Future Fashion. Welcome, Becky. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So among that long list of roles and responsibilities, you also work with organizations to embed sustainable design research within the corporate culture. Past clients have included H&M, VF Corporation, Philippa K. Can you talk about your work and why big brands need your help? Um, well, as you know, sustainability is moving ahead in terms of material development um, but ideas, good ideas don't always get used. And my researchers um, got to a certain point where what we could see was that change needed to take place in terms of mindsets, behaviors, habits, um, internal procedures. So we started to take our materials expertise in alongside ideas that would develop um, in line with the way in which a business works. And so is it trying is it for brands who are identifying that they want to change from the inside out? Yeah, very much I would say that's um that's one way of profiling the kind of people we work with. I mean, working um we we like to work with very progressive partners. Um it's 
difficult for us as academic researchers to go in and just work on a project that makes a very small incremental change. We really need to be the kind of people that come in and um, present the bigger visions of the future for how they could transform themselves, but by transforming themselves, they're actually going to make a big impact um, amongst their peers, amongst other brands as well, so, which is why you can sort of see how um, the Conscious Collection at H&M, for example, um, is really sort of setting the agenda for many other brands. And is it is it unique around the world that we have a university education working so closely with, with fashion and apparel companies to, to help them kind of think about things differently? It is quite unusual. I think because it's um, not usually considered academic work, uh, it could be seen as consultancy um, or knowledge exchange, but actually our research questions are are very much about the way in which um, companies need to change to really move ahead with sustainability. So with textile designers and academics that have a material knowledge and expertise, but we've reached a certain point, a certain maturity in our ideas to understand that in order for those ideas to get taken up, we also have to do other kinds of research. And so does that make the University of Arts London kind of unique in letting the, the brains out of the pen, so to speak? <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, it often feels like escaping. <laughs> um, it, there's another way of putting it, I suppose, which is that we just don't feel that um, our research is going to be live and relevant and fully informed um, unless we are actually answering questions within an industry context. It's very much been a decision um, that we've taken to embed ourselves um, in the corporate culture to change from the inside. And, of course, there are lots of other academics that work from the outside and try to have um, an effect on industry or an effect on users of fashion. Um, But this is our particular particular approach. And for those who may not have heard the term circular economy, can you explain what it means and, and what that what the relevance is to fashion? Sure, um, I'd love to. It's my favorite topic. Um, I circular the circular economy and the potential for circular fashion is all about reducing its huge environmental footprint by reusing the resources that are being produced. So um, millions and millions of meters of fabrics are produced. Um, There's a cutting waste before the garment has even reached finished manufacture. Um, Clothes are worn and uh, disposed of um, rapidly, more and more rapidly. Um, And often we're treating things that are actually physically able to last perhaps up to 200 years in the case of, let's say, polyester, um, we're treating those things as a six-week item. So the difference in perception, uh, physical durability, price, behavior, they're all out of kilter. So the circular economy framework is looking at looping uh, these kinds of material resources back into the production phase so that we're not mining and growing new all of the time for this for these um, speeds and these cycles that we're actually beginning to feed uh, garments back through a system. And so, and is that how the, the TED 10 came about, was trying to get 
um, students and brands to think about things differently? It's actually the other way around. It's kind of a chicken and egg thing, actually. Um, as designers, we have been working with recycling from the outset. So literally since I sort of left college in 1996, um, I have been reusing old textiles to make new things. But in order to understand the potential for that um, moving ahead, I took a broader look at sustainability. And that's how TED's 10 really came um, into being, because we started to uh, read around and look across disciplines um, to philosophy, to other design practices, and start to draw back into textile design key ideas that could frame this idea of what is sustainability, what is sustainable textiles. And, I'm and just... in doing that... No, go on. And in doing that kind of mapping, we came up with 10 key approaches that we could use. And then it's gone another, through another sort of cycle, if you like, whereby in using those TEDs 10, we've realized that we have a much more progressive way of looking at recycling now. And I wanted to actually read them because I think for, um, and you've made it open source, so you've created the, these 10 strategies, sustainable strategies, and you've put them on the web for educators, designers, everybody to use. But I wanted to share them now with, with our listeners. So number one is designed to minimize waste, designed for recycling and upcycling, designed to reduce chemical impacts, designed to reduce energy and water use, Design that explores clean and better technologies. Design that looks at models from history and nature. Design for ethical production. Design to replace the need to consume. Design to dematerialize and develop systems and services. And design activism. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, well, it's we call them um, creating a leading card and developing your own hand because we actually produce them in the form of cards. We play lots of different games with them. Um, and it's quite an important way to approach sustainability. You need to bring in a sense of fun and a sense of uh, flexibility, a sense of the opportunity for people to have a personal voice and approach. So, yeah, I mean, number two, design for cyclability. That's got to be my favorite because I'm just so interested in how we can make materials that go back into a loop that cause less um, impact as they go, it goes through progressive cycles, but also increases in value potentially. So that's upcycling. So cyclability makes you aware of downcycling, recycling, upcycling. It makes you aware of how you regenerate fibers. Um, it's got a whole kind of range of, of thinking embedded in just that one strategy. So a lot of our funded project research at the moment is, is completely focused on strategy number two. And I have a quote um, of yours that, that kind of um, ties to this, I think, because you and I have had conversations over, over time about consumption and, and also chicken and egg. What's really the problem? Is it consumption or is it production? And so this quote says, it's not as simple as it seems. It's not just about buying less and having a good clear out, Mary Kondo style. Our global economic infrastructure depends on us being consumers, wanting stuff, needing stuff, buying stuff. Our social identities and habits have been constructed within this framework, and to reject it altogether means becoming a monk, quite literally. So if we're feeling overwhelmed, then we need to make more realistic transitions. We need to become users rather than consumers. What do you, what do you mean by that? What, what's your idea of a user? 
I just take the position that fashion is joyful, fun, creative, uh, part of our lives in such a way that I suppose I find um, campaigns to um, eradicate uh, aspects of fashion to I, I kind of put on my I, I take off my academic head and I put on my consumer head and I go hmm do I like being told that you know I, and I try to think about the kind of change that will come about by ma- making people feel good um, it's an and 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 approach I think that in order to make the industry more sustainable we need to be proactive on many fronts and it's impossible to say which one is more effective than the other. You could take material development, you could take legislation, you could take behavior change. Um, They are all going to be very important. Um, In terms of a user, that's all about the sharing economy. That's all about seeing uh, the fashion that we love and use to define ourselves as something that's with us for a short period of time and something that will then go on its way somewhere else. So we're actually using moments rather than buying something and keeping it in our wardrobes um, and eventually it going to a second-hand outlet after it's got moth holes in it or something. So I suppose a lot of our work lately is against the general consensus of let's slow everything down. It's actually about let's look at realistic modern and progressive ways where we can have change in our wardrobes but without having to be so resource heavy without having to own everything um, and without having to have the weight of making everything last for a really long time and simply it's about looking around you and thinking fast and slow there are speeds that coexist in all parts of our life and I think we need to have more conversations in fashion about how we can still have some fast-moving clothing um, as well as being careful consumers. I love it because it's so inspirational, especially because you're right, There's there seems to be kind of one generic um, conversation or one generic um, solution that we're all leaning towards, which is slow and reduced consumption. But at the heart, and I've heard you talk about like fashion is supposed to be fun and shopping with your girlfriends is supposed to be fun. And, and wouldn't it be great if we lived in, um, in an environment or, or industry would pick up the slack and find ways so that we could still have that fun and, and have things that had multi-uses or things that, you know, could be, and I've heard you be more eloquent about this, but things that could just go right back into the chain and be recycled or upcycled. I think there are so many ways that we can use these loops and cycles and systems and flows in more creative ways than we currently are. And I think that as consumers and users, we'll have a lot more fun. And I think they'll be financially more rewarding for us, too, to be part of quite different systems than currently exist. Um, I was walking down the street in New York last summer, and I saw ad after ad for closet space. You know, you know, come and rent a closet to keep storage. all of your unworn clothes <laughs> yeah, in, right? Storage rental. I mean, that's kind of crazy because that's paying even more money for stuff that you're not wearing. You know, so what we can see is the possibilities for there to still be a fashion industry, but for them to think differently about where the, the goods go and for how long. Um, 
and maybe that is creating some parallel um, business models that do offer lending, loaning, repairing, hiring, um, updating and changing. And, and maybe you can actually bring a product back to the store and and have its second or third or fourth life with you as it, as it goes through a different reinvention process. Um, essentially, for brands, there's a lot of savings to be made in terms of owning the resources, getting the materials back and reprocessing them. Uh, but there's also a benefit there in building some new business models around this using sharing economy. That's amazing. Okay, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about um, H&M Foundation's Global Change Awards. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. And we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm your host, Kate Black. And today I'm talking with Professor Rebecca Earley. Becky, you're a judge for H&M Foundation's Global Change Awards. And in fact, we're in Stockholm this week for the ceremony. What's the significance of the award? It's been such an exciting journey. I'm so glad to be part of it. Um, The significance is the scale, the reach, the fact that a call went out to bring together innovators from both industry and academia to put forward ideas that they wanted to get funding for that could be of environmental benefit to the whole industry. So we're looking at being able to see these ideas, share them, touch them, talk to the makers, support the makers in their entrepreneurial ventures, and actually see the sort of award structure mentor and grow those small businesses as well and take them to the next level. Um, The significance is that a brand is part of it's not actually the same organization as H&M it's the foundation um, but they are supporting other brands and industries and um, parts of the supply chain to benefit from their investment so it's a really it's a quite it feels to me to be a very holistic and open award and process and one as a judge it's terribly exciting i mean to see the thousands of ideas that come in from over a hundred different countries makes you feel hope for the future really that's amazing and this is your second or your third year 
this is my second year yeah i've been on board since it started um i was the first year just so blown away by seeing that innovation i actually spent um some hours going through all the applications and mapping out uh, creating basically an innovation map you know what ideas um with what area of sustainability were coming from what continent um and uh, and actually managing to see whether some innovation black spots too so what kind of ideas are not being wildly widely explored um, and why we need more um, activity in those areas. So it's been fascinating. Amazing. I can't wait to see who the winner is going to be. Um, And so can you tell me, how does your work filter into your home life? Like what kind of lessons are you imparting on your children? Uh, that's a really big. <laughs> that's a big question. Um, it's it's a, it's one that I've taken on to heart in the last few years because it, I work really hard. I'm a full time professor, um, and being an academic means that even in your hours you're not at work, you're still writing. And you know, so and my kids are young; they're eight and ten. And um, there's just been some real moments where I've thought, God, they're going to go out into this world and they're going to need some new skills and. Um, I want them to be thoughtful um, consumers and um, and build good lives for themselves and in the right ways. And so, and yet, I want to, in the very precious time I have with them, have fun. <laughs> so I've been finding ways to do fun things with them that teach them some of the fundamentals of um, ethical consumption. That sounds lovely. And so what's your hope for this industry? Where do you see us in five or ten years? Oh, I suppose to answer that, a good a good way to explain our vision is to use the sort of model of... Um, uh, sustainable design that we're kind of taking forward now with the Centre for Circular Design here at University of the Arts London. Um, we use a framework of materials, models, and mindsets. Uh, they cross over. It's a Venn. And you can kind of see questions and ideas arrive in all sections. Um, materials, something like Global Change Award, and the kind of um, shortlist that they're presenting this year is a perfect example of the way in which we can radically step outside of the industrial revolution model of how materials are made and start seeing the potential for non-wovens and bio-manufacture to really provide us with answers in the future which are much lower impact and totally recyclable. In terms of models, It's about different business models that encourage and support better user behavior, um, better manufacturing and processing systems. And for mindsets, it's really about how we can be creative as designers in working with people to lead to better habits and, and lives. So it's about creativity driving behavior. And so do you, and obviously you're expecting a positive impact? In the industry? Uh, say that again as a question, sorry. Are you, so you're expecting it to, you're expecting the industry to have a positive impact? Like the industry is going to Okay, move. good question. Is, is my view of the industry in the future a positive one? It has all that it needs to be positive. Um, probably our biggest struggles are, of course, are always going to be economic and political. And I suppose that's another reason why I like my research team to go and embed themselves in industry. 
we are designers. Our business is design and design research. Uh, we're not going to step out of those roles and become business owners or uh, politicians. But I do believe as designers, we have to be part of the negotiation process towards change. Um, and I do have a positive vision of the future. I can see that it's possible. It will look different at different scales of the industry. So some of the smaller brands will continue to flourish and, and be the iconic leaders um, creatively, I think. But I think there is now a real potential for medium-sized uh, companies to actually significantly change route as well. As for the big brands, we can hope. We can hope that they can do things that are more progressive than they're currently able to. We can hope that they continue to sort of support change ethically um, across the supply chain. But I think everybody knows that the big ships are never going to really change. We just have to keep asking them for better experiences and better products and to take care of us, really, to provide us with sort of joy that we can feel good about. I agree. And so if, if there are brands listening, how can they get in touch with you or how can they kind of figure out what services and what ways that you can help them? So we have a website, tedresearch.net. Um, that's textiles, environment, design. And uh, we have uh, our research projects, our research team. We have audio downloads. Um, we have a podcast series uh, on iTunes around our trash to cash EU work. Um, and we have the textile toolbox, which is a Mistra Future Fashion um, website, which, again, supports designers um, from schools right through to large industry um, designers figure out how they can make their own way through the sustainability landscape. Okay, so let's go slowly through those again. So it's tedtoolbox.com or .co.uk? Tedresearch.net. Okay, tedresearch.net. Mistra is which one? Mistra Future Fashion. Dot com. Okay, perfect. And we didn't actually talk about Trash for Cash, so let's just briefly dip into that. Tell us about Trash for Cash and what you're doing with the EU. We're working on uh, a big project at the moment for the EU, um, Trash to Cash. It's, it's a little bit of a cheesy name, but it does perfectly describe what we're doing. We're taking waste uh, textiles and waste paper and making brand new fibers uh, in a, a new process. But we're also introducing the designer as a more significant voice in this process and asking them to drive the innovation, work closely with scientists, on producing quite high-end products. So it's sort of quite literally taking rubbish and turning it into luxury items, but with the designer having a lot more um, sort of say and uh, being able to have lots more ideas along the way rather than just shaping the product at the end. And then the, the corresponding um, podcast, which I've been listening to, is lovely. And so who is being featured on it? 
We're working our way around the different partners in Trash to Cash. And so uh, we recently interviewed um, Michael, and he's our first scientist on the podcast. Um, we're going to be talking to engineers, material behavior researchers, um, as well as more of the design researchers from across Europe. Um, some great guys in Finland at Alto Arts and Alto University who work really closely with um, scientists and they've developed a whole methodology of their own. So it's, it's an interesting place, I think, the podcast, for having conversations about complicated things, but really kind of boiling it down to what you need to understand for a future uh, collaboration. It's true. And it's, and it's really for people like textile nerds and people who really kind of want to hear um, some of the vibrancy and some of the research that's going on. I, th I think it's great. And it's Trash 2, the Digit 2 cash on iTunes, right? That's right. Yeah. Perfect. And I think the important, the, the important message through the podcast is we've got to collaborate. We've got to learn to speak each other's language and we've got to step outside of our own fields and work with others to bring about really significant change. I couldn't agree more. If you want to find out more about Becky Early, please visit her own website where she lists all the projects that she's working on, which is Becky, B-E-C-K-Y, Early, E. A R L E Y dot com. Thank you so much, Becky, for joining me today. Thank you, Kate. It's lovely. I do hope to see you at the dinner in Stockholm soon. Yes, I can't wait. Thank you to Heritage Radio Network, home of Magnifico Radio. You can find and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, kindly give us a rating. It helps us rank higher amongst conventional fashion podcasts and to push these conversations forward. Want to learn more about innovation textiles? Check out our Material Matter series and hundreds of other stories on Magnifico.com or sign up for our newsletter. And if you have any feedback, questions, want to be a sponsor, or recommend a guest, please email me at radio at magnifico.com. Until next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.